This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. you're staying safe. You know, with COVID and lockdown and social distancing, it's hard not to let your mind wander to thinking about what it might be like when all this is over. You know, to be able to do some of the things that we took for granted before. I know I've been thinking a lot about going out for dinner with my wife in one of the many incredible restaurants here in Belgium. No, no kids there, others putting thought into the dish and cooking for us, being served beers and wine before, during and even after the food, the gentle hum in the background of conversation, you know, like I'm, I'm part of society again. And that got me thinking about beer in restaurants in Belgium. For all its self-identification as a beer country, does beer occupy the same space on the menu as wine in Belgian restaurants? And if not, why not? I think the approach with something like this is to put a microscope on one particular restaurant, use it as a window into the whole culinary scene in Belgium. Pick a city, Uh, not the capital. Somewhere important but not too big, so let's say Leuven. You know, it's a Flemish art city. It's got medieval buildings, but it's also a student town. It's got a history of beer, but it isn't home to a lot of contemporary breweries. So that that might be a good place to begin. I felt like I need some help to work this one out. So maybe someone who could write about it for Belgian Smack. It would need to be someone who is an excellent reporter, you know, dogged, who knows how to get into rooms with what you know, can be at times standoffish Belgians and who can understand enough of the languages uh, here to get people to talk. Someone who's sensitive enough to the cultural nuances of Belgian culture, but at the same time cynical and hard-nosed enough to ask the questions. And of course, someone who can write. Now there's this Irish guy based in Belgium, another Irish guy based in Belgium, called Owen Walsh. Many of you will know him from his blog, Brussels Beer City, or his book of the same name, or his work with publications like Ferment and Pellicle and Good Beer Hunting, or maybe from the recognition he's received from the British Guild of Beer Writers or the North American Guild of Beer Writers. Anyway, he's kind of brilliant, so I needed to ask him. The thing is, I wasn't sure whether Owen would be interested. But if you don't make the ask, you'll never know. Hello. Hey, Owen, it's uh, Brendan here from Belgian Smack. How are you getting on? Good, good. I, uh, I have a favour to ask. Fire away. 
I'm I'm kind of interested in um, finding out more about beer and food in Leuven. Okay. And I was wondering if you could basically go and find out what's going on over there. I think I could probably do that. Uh, how long have I got? Um, yeah, take take a couple of weeks and visit a bunch of places and yeah, let me know what you find out. Grant, I'll be in touch. Okay, perfect. If you need anything, just give me a call. Will do. Okay, good luck. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So that was Owen Walsh. He's in. Let's do this. I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. Part one is wine and dine. called Bram Verbeken um, and that's located in Leuven so our attention turns first to Leuven. Well I actually lived in Leuven for one summer a glorious summer back in 2007 um, Irish people might know that the there is an Irish college in Leuven uh, like 17th century Irish college where monks used to go and I worked there for a summer my wife uh, is from Leuven um, so I have a pretty good I have pretty good memories of living in the city, of going out and drinking in the city. It's it's quite a fun city. It's a university city, which means that especially during term time, it's got a lot of life going going on. And I mean, when you were first starting to to meet up with your wife, like, did you go to Leuven and meet her family and stuff, and, and kind of explore the city that way? 
I actually lived with her mother in her mother. Well, lived with her mother. It sounds a bit strange. I lived in her mother's house, <laughs> in her mother's house at the time, um, which was which was interesting. It was also nice, you know. There, I mean, once you get through uh, the quiet resolve of the Flemish person, you know, they can be quite open and welcoming um, to, to to people. And also, yeah, I mean, I was that was probably my first exposure to Belgian beer at that time as well. I remember some quite serious hangovers. Uh, having been out on the Devil uh, the night before, uh, having one too many, as as I think probably every single person who's ever explored Belgian beer as a neophyte has had, you know, those really heavy, heavy duty nights out. Yeah, so you know, you're 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 out drinking in Leuven, you have you know the the kind of nascent beer experiences in Belgium. Uh, Leuven, I think, is also the the home of um, Anheuser-Busch InBev. It's the brewery of Stella Artois both, you know, historically and up, you know, today as well. So it's obviously a big beer town, right? Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, you come into the city, get in off the train station, the train station is right next door to the brewery. And on a brew day, the whole neighborhood smells of beer or of wort at least, which was really interesting because uh, coming from Cork in the south of Ireland, you have the same, it's a, it's a small university town with a couple of big breweries in there. And any time I would go into to the city when I was a child, the place would always smell of, you know, fermenting beer. Um, and for, for Leuven, you know, it's, it's strange to see such a small city home to such a large brewery because people in, in, in the, in the popular conception of at least beer drinkers, you know, AB InBev is this monster, you know, as somebody once described Goldman Sachs, you know, this vampire squid that has tentacles all over the world, you know, the largest brewery in the world. I mean, run by a bunch of um, Brazilian venture capitalists, and to have this situated in this ancient university town, it's it's a bit of a disconnect, I think. And you know, talking to Bram and obviously researching for the article, you know, it's clear Leuven doesn't see itself as a beer city. You know, anyone who comes to Belgium, you know, Leuven isn't necessarily on that Belgian beer pilgrimage. You know, you're talking the classics: Be- uh, Brussels, Bruges, Ghent, the West Hook. Um, if you're looking for saisons and you're going down south to Wallonia, I mean, Leuven is a, is a, is an interesting side adventure on that, but it's never going to be the center of anyone's um, beer uh, travel. Yeah, and, and as kind of one of the the, the historic art or Flemish cities, um, and somewhere that's pretty close to the capital, Brussels, it's got a, a good, um, a strong food scene. There's a lot of restaurants as well, and you know, given that everyone you know talks about. Belgium as being, you know, the, a beer country, you would expect that, you know, a lot of the restaurants would, you know, put beer, I, I guess, at the, at the center of their, their food offering. Um, and I know like recently you've kind of, you know, I think well, re-engaged or you've become more interested in, you know, making stuff yourself. I, I don't know whether it was because of the lockdown or the pandemic that you kind of got more into baking. I saw some fantastic photos on your, on your socials of, of beautiful breads um, you know, and, and doing some sort of cooking yourself, like is, is, is the kind of the beer thing connected to the food thing in Leuven at all? Not really, or not historically, I don't think. I mean, Leuven is a very, I mean, it's a very middle-class city, you know, it's the university town. Everybody's pretty well off. There's not a lot of deprivation in the city. Um, and the food scene is to match, you know, it's sort of, I mean, yeah, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to paint in broad brushstrokes, but you know, it's a middle-class city with middle-class restaurants providing middle-class food. Um, and Belgium historically, 
beer would not have been a part of that. You know, you talk to old restaurateurs who have been working in beer for a long time and they'll tell you, you know, uh, beer was something for the cafe. It wasn't something for the restaurant. Belgium is a huge wine drinking uh, uh, country. I remember hearing one time in, in the past that Belgium was the highest per capita consumption of cava in the world. It was basically Belgium was keeping Spain's cava industry alive. Uh, and the restaurants in, in Leuven and in, in, in a lot of Belgium sort of reflect that preference. Wine is something to be drunk uh, with dinners out at the restaurant and beer is something to be drunk in the cafe. Um, one of the people that you spoke to who kind of has strong opinions um, about this the fact that you know beer isn't used maybe as much as people think it is in in cuisine um, was uh, Sophie van Raffelheim. Um For people that don't know who she is, like what what's her kind of what does she do in Belgium and kind of what would be her reputation? I mean, she's a she's probably the most visible beer sommelier in certainly in Flanders and in Belgium. I think the beer discourse is dominated by Flemish brewers and Flemish um, commentators. So she's probably the most visible one of them. You'll see her on, you know, the nightly chat shows if they're talking about beer, generally speaking, she's going to be the expert who they bring on. I mean, she's written numerous books, both about beer history, beer traditions, but also cafes. Um, And on top of that, she's done, you know, she's been working in the beer industry for about a decade. And a lot of the work that she's been doing um, has been working with chefs and uh, hospitality schools and, and colleges in trying to get them engaged in beer in a way that they haven't been in the past, basically evangelizing for the position of beer or the role of beer uh, to be served with, you know, good quality food. So, Sophie, you tweeted out at the beginning of the month when they made the Michelin uh, announcements, and I there was some frustration there about the kind of position of beer in the Belgian restaurant industry or community. Like, where does that come from? Where does that frustration come from? Well, some, a lot of frustration, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I've been um, advocating for this for also the past decade to really get beer on the menu, Mm -hmm. get beer on the table um, and see it as a product that's equal to wine. Yeah, that's the main goal. I don't want to push wine away, but it has to be equal. We're a beer country, not a wine country. I know we have some wine um, makers that are doing a good job, but if you compare it, it's not really. Um, not it's actually scandalous right now. I think um, now um, my uh, how you say it. My motto in life is always when you get aggravated or frustrated, do something about it and don't complain about it. And that's not always possible. uh, But I tried with beer and food. Um, I had contact with Homeo, Mm -hmm. um, also reached out to Michelin. I have worked with several restaurants. um, And I actually started out with working with restaurants in Dubai and the States before I got close to home, because here in Belgium, they weren't ready for Mm. that. So now I can do this work, but it's still slowly but surely and getting it into the media and getting into on social media into the public eye. But it's really, really difficult. And it doesn't help that uh, Romeo and Michelin 
doesn't um, when they they judge a restaurant that they don't judge the beer as they do the wine. Mm. Romeo once reached out to me as well as um, to give me a list of beer places, and I said that um, first of all the list is constantly changing. And second of all, you could also judge beer as you judge wine, only in a different way. And I offered to help mm. to work it out, but didn't happen. So wh- where where is no, that where is that reluctance coming from then? Like, what what's the barrier that's preventing Belgian chefs from really getting engaged with the beer culture? I see three problems. Um, first problem is there's no education about it. So when they are educated in hotel schools or in hospitality, um, they often don't know anything about beer. Um, some years ago, there was a uh, survey, I think, with, uh, that they asked students a simple question. Why is red wine red and white wine white? And why is dark beer dark and blonde beer blonde? Almost everyone could answer the first two questions, but almost no one could answer the second. Um, There's no education. Um, I've been working with some hotels, schools Mm. for a while, and sometimes I've been able, like now I'm going to do one day in in Teruna Porto again. I've also been working in the Netherlands um, in, in schools for event management and so on. So I'm trying to do my part on that way. Um, but there's still a lot of work. It has to be a bigger part of the curriculum. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Second um, problem is um, the overappreciation of wine. The Belgians, um, when I before I started in beer, I was actually during my university studies working as a journalist mm-hmm. and... Um, and I did um, articles as a travel journalist okay. mainly. So I did an article about Bordeaux. And in Bordeaux, it was mentioned that if they wouldn't have the Belgians, it would be far less that they sold. Um, and that really uh, gives you an idea how much the Belgian people love their wines. And it's a habit that's difficult to crack. So it's not only the sommeliers that push it, it's also the consumer who's... And the last thing is um, price. There's... uh, But I don't agree with that. I have... um, Like, I I do workshops for for the hospitality industry that really tackles that. You can make money with beer. It's bullshit that you can't. You can but you have to keep some things in mind. First of all, you don't serve a simple Pilsner or um, uh, Duvel, the well-known brands. You have to create an experience and let them discover beautiful beers that have a complexity that match the dishes. Second of all, you have to give the explanation like a sommelier does for the wine. Like if you go to restaurants now that are doing their best, Often you don't get an explanation, you just get the beer and you're glad you just got the beer. <laughs> but the explanation is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a, often a disaster. Um, like Hop Hastrobar is amazing, but they're the exception. Yeah. And often people, I hear people raving in the beer, wow, we have several restaurants who are doing the best. Great. And now the rest. 
because I don't agree that it's good to have more than 70% that doesn't serve you beer like they should. So, um, but price-wise, you can really tackle that. I've developed many menus, also many um, price settings, and you can make money as a restaurateur. The thing is, if you want to... Alias, steal from people, <laughs> I say, and by uh, doing five times the price or even more, you won't be able to do this with yeah. beer. But isn't that a good thing? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, after banging away and banging away and banging away at it, do you get a sense that, there's an, that there are chefs that are more interested in this than there were in the past? Or... Yes. Yeah. Yes, there are more chefs interested because I, I get more mails and questions also. And um, like when we do um, a workshop on a, on a fair that's meant for the hospitality yeah. industry, like Horeca Expo, but even Chef Expo, before there wasn't a lot of interest and now it's always packed with chefs and rest. So they really, they are interested. Um, And And the only way it's going to change is when consumers are asking more for beer. Um, That's the only way it's going to change, I think. And that's the thing I, with this pandemic, um, I think we will come back and the brewers will come back but they will need the support of um they will need local support people will have to order beers of their brewers in uh, in bars but also in the restaurants stop sipping these french wines and choose a local brewer because they need it and they deserve it people who have been doing this for a long time I mean Stefan Coutain is, is one of those um, his restaurant at Hommelhof in Watu for anyone who's ever visited West Flanders you know a, a beer heartland of the country he's been cooking with beer and serving beer alongside his meals since the early 1980s um, in Brussels you've had Alan Fate at um, Resto Bier which is quite a quite a famous sort of rustic restaurant in the center of Brussels working class neighborhood Brussels as well, you have somebody like Dirk Mini from the other end of the spectrum who works at Le Brigitine and has very close relationships with the city's brewers like Jean Farouin from Cantillon and Ivan de Bats from Brasserie de la Seine. Um, and you've had other chefs coming through. I mean, there are some chefs, Kobe Desmaro, who's a chef I know active in Ghent, and Sergio Hermans in Antwerp have sort of dipped their toes into it, but it's never been at the center of their restaurant concept. Hi, Stefan. It's Owen here. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Here, Owen's talking to Stefan Goutani, a beer chef who for 40 years or so has run a well-known beer restaurant called De Hummelhof. Uh, the problem was uh, not only with the, with the people, with the, with the clients of the restaurants, but there was also a problem with the, um, with the brewers. The brewers didn't believe in, 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 
there in, in Russians. But now the times are changed and, and uh, people don't go anymore so much to, uh, more uh, to cafes and so they have to find another selling point. With my colleagues, uh, the cooks and the restaurateurs, they, they were not so happy, not so pleased with that idea because it, it was a, for the concurrence. Uh, you know, when you drink a glass of beer with your food uh, or you're uh, drinking a bottle of wine, you, uh, you have an, another price setting, you know, and uh, it became cheaper for the, the people to, to come to, to eat here. Part two, Bistronomy. When I think about the way we used to be, when I think about the things it took from me, I know that I am so much better, better. When I look at what I've done, now that we are apart, when I look at what I've won, I've come so far. And, you know, one of the, the people that is putting it at the center of the restaurant concept, and, you know, it's even there in the name of the restaurant and, you know, in, in kind of the food and the pairings is um, Hop Hastrobar, uh, which is uh, owned and run by a guy called Bram Verbeken. Um, so, you know, for people that don't know uh, that place, I've never been there, I've never heard of it. Like, how would you describe the type of place that it is to them? It's quite a modern establishment. Um, so it's located in the outskirts of Leuven, at the base actually of the old Artois brewery, um, the old 20th century brewery, which has since been supplanted by a more bo- more modern facility in the Canal District, which is sort of a, a, an area right in the middle of uh, urban redevelopment. So lots of new apartment buildings, lots of new restaurants, lots of new other kind of hospitality places. It's quite a, a, quite a simple restaurant layout, uh, quite an open one, Bram, uh, as, a, as a chef and as a restaurateur, his vision is always he wants to be close with his um, with his customers. So he's got an open kitchen. You can see what they're doing. Um, it's a pretty small dining room. So, you know, it's, it's quite cozy. It's quite small. And what he's doing there really is that uh, Bram's vision is of presenting good quality, unheralded Belgian ingredients that maybe don't get the same kind of kudos or have the same kind of cultural cachet as 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 other cuisine paired then alongside sort of the best of what you would call or what I called in, 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 in my article for Belgian Smack, um, sort of new wave Belgian brewing. So new breweries that have emerged over the last 15, 20 years that are sort of reinterpreting or advancing beyond the sort of typical Belgian attitudes to brewing and tastes. Uh, we're at Hope Castlebar. It's um, it's like a, a restaurant, um, but um, not in a very traditional way. Here in Leuven, uh, at the Vaartkom. Here's Owen meeting Bram Verbeken, the owner and chef at the Hop Castlebar in Leuven. Which is actually, uh, maybe you know, but it's like an old industrial site, uh, which has been developed on the, for... Uh, 
uh, yeah, much apartments, of course, but also some small businesses, uh, businesses, and also we have. Um, uh, uh, some uh, horeca, some some restaurants, some bars around here, uh, but it's actually um, a little piece of Leuven, uh, which I invested in uh, a long time ago, a couple of years ago. I said that's the place to be, and so now we're also thinking about changing the the environment here. So it's going to be like a a really cool place. It's already a cool place, but now it's like a little bit rough. It's going to be. Um, um, uh, going to be refined over the next couple of years and then it's going to be a really um, a really nice place to be um, well. so you've been here for three years then uh, yeah so uh, next week it's my it's a uh, hopper's birthday so we just open for three years uh, I open it's not really correct yeah? so um, but um, yeah three years the restaurant is open I've been working uh, on the plan like for five years now so, or longer, but yeah. But the restaurant actually opened three years. So, give us give us like an example of of a, of a dish that um, Hopgastrovar might serve. Yeah. So he was telling me. So Bram was telling me in the first months that they were there. Um, one of their one of their concerns was they didn't want to scare people away with it with a too assertive approach to cooking. Um, so they wanted to meet the diners halfway. They weren't going to do a brasserie style sort of hearty food, but they also, you know, didn't want to compromise on on on, on their vision. So they did something where they took uh, moule frite, classic Belgian dish. I'd say probably every tourist who has ever visited the country has has tried cooking the cooking the the moule in in in, in beer. Taking the vegetables that were at the base of the stock, um, blending them with some mashed potatoes, turning them into fries, freeze drying the fries, frying them, serving them with the moule frite. So you have this sort of intense um, fish dish that takes sort of the best of, or like a standard Belgian traditional dish and gives it that sort of, as he would call it, bistronomic uh, touch. So a sort of a, a modern, a modern vibe to it. Um, so the bistronomy uh, concept is um, is the way I saw a restaurant evolving in in over the next years. Uh, I think you see it um, in many places. Uh, it has it, everything is a little bit more down to earth. Um, I never I'm. I've been a cook all my life, so I, I, that, that's all I do. Um, but I never wanted the posh restaurant. Yeah. But I also don't don't want to do like um, a classic brasserie cart. Uh, I have to do I have to do something creative uh, and be able to change whenever I like uh, to change the menu. So that's where we come in the middle of the bistronomy, where you can do something creative. Um, and then um, in um, yeah, just a, a chill uh, um, setting, just a little bit. So why didn't you want to do a posh restaurant? Well, what is it about <laughs> the, the haute cuisine that turned you up? Uh, it doesn't turn me off. It's just not my my interest. Yeah. I, I I really enjoy eating in a in a really fancy restaurants. 
and also there the, uh, the, 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 the style of service and the style of food has changed um, enormously. So it's not like there's something wrong with a posh restaurant. It's just not not what I am. I, here it has to be cozy. It uh, always, um, yeah, now it's not cozy, yeah, but uh, normally uh, the, I like it when it's full of people, uh, lots of candles, the music just loud enough. Uh, so there's like really, um, yeah, a kind of uh, ambience I wanted to create and where uh, this is the kind of ambience where I want, want to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, so of course, um, if I want to be there, I really looked also for a location for a restaurant where I could place the kitchen in the restaurant. Yeah. Because with, yeah, if you're in some narrow building uh, and you're all in the back or in the basement in the kitchen, uh, you you don't uh, you don't experience it yourself. So uh, voila. So here I'm always in with the kitchen in the restaurant, and it has to be uh, cozy. Yeah. And if you want to, if you want to have um, a lunch or dinner on flip flops in the summer, I, I, or you just uh, if some people are eating here and they see some, they see some friends passing by and uh, they have a seat to to drink a glass. It everything has to be possible. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to have a real restaurant experience uh, uh, towards food and drinks. And what is that real restaurant experience? How would you describe that? Or hot then? Uh, something you don't cook uh, at home. Yeah. Um, I think that is, I don't cook or don't cook like uh, everyday meal at home. Um, some products um, with, um, with terroir, so, so which is their, um, um, just not um, chicken or it's really some thought about it. And then, um, yeah, brought in a fun way for you, so you you can really enjoy the dinner or lunch yeah. uh, without any worries, without any. It's, it also doesn't have to be complicated, so it it just has to be very tasteful. Um, you talk about terroir, and I know having you know done some prep for for the interview that like Belgian terroir and Belgian produce is really important for you as a chef and also as a concept for the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, If you have a really nice Belgium product, um, you have to, I think you have to choose that one. It's it's not like um, there's there's beautiful products all over the world, but it's like, yeah, it's it, for me. It's it's logical. I cannot imagine it differently than than. Um, of course, we we work with some meat or um, from France. Or it's it's not like it's all Belgian products. But um, for instance, cheese. Uh, so we always say like uh, the French have the best cheeses in the world. Wow. It's partly true, but we also have a really, um, a really nice variety of um, lesser-known cheeses here in Belgium. So, um, I, yeah, if like now, so the beginning of this month, I was in uh, Ardenne, mm-hmm. um, and I always go there shopping cheese, and then I, 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 I taste like everything. So we discovered a new one, I, new for me. It's not new cheese, but uh, um, we we didn't have yet. And then I, um, I call uh, Van Tricht, 
who does the cheeses for us. Mm -hmm. And I say, yeah, you have that? Ah, yes, I know. Maybe we'll take it. And if he doesn't take it, I get it myself. I really, it's like... um, if it's now we have still lots of um, some old cheese from the area around Spa, um, which is vacuum. It uh, we can keep it for a long time. So then I then I buy a whole wheel of cheese if I'm in the in the Ardennes, and then I I bring it back. So I really I really like to uh, put um, Belgium produce uh, in the spotlight, just because people um, sometimes forget about it. Um, you're after having set up Hop, but let's rewind a little bit. I mean, you have, you went to cookery school, you started working in a couple of different restaurants, and then your first like big, or at least the the longest position you had was at Zarsa, which is another restaurant just up the road. Yeah. What was the impulse for you after working there for a good long time to say, I want to do my own thing? Um. Um. Actually, Zarza, I, I, I ended up there uh, by incident, so mm-hmm. um, because I'm not from Leuven myself, um, but my wife comes from the neighborhood here, so we bought a house. Uh, I quit my job back uh, for, for where we lived then, and then um, I just came to Leuven, and um, yeah, you just buy a house, you, you need a job. Huh? <laughs> so, but luckily, uh, if you're a chef, uh, it's not that difficult to find a job, so... Uh, uh, so I ended up there, and uh, after a couple of years, I was also head chef there, and then uh, I had a really nice chance to um, to experience what is possible and what is in me, and what we can, um, well, what I wanted to do uh, for cooking. Uh, but after a while, t- um, yeah, I think it's more like. Um, not that I didn't like working there anymore, but I think what I really wanted to do wasn't there. So yeah. I really started hope from the perspective of um, a chef and I want to do this. And I also want to be able to make my own decisions uh, on all levels. Yeah. So what was it that was missing from Zarsa then? Just, I think, the entrepreneurship. I think I really like doing that. So, um, and it's not only when it, because um, now business is good, uh, but I also um, had some um, some difficulties here in the beginning to, to start up with the right permissions. And I already quitted my job. And then I, then I worked um, at other restaurants as a freelance chef. So it's not like always been, uh, it always comes from itself. Um, and nothing comes from itself. You always have to work for it. But um, just that freedom of wanting, of, of um, if be able to do, be able to do what you want to do at uh, at any time, um, and really set out a new concept and a new, um, yeah, a new kind of restaurant. Yeah. That must have been a very stressful period for you then, making the leap into the unknown, having you know your experience as a chef, but maybe not as running your own place, and then that interim period where, as you said, you're freelancing. Like that must have been a anxious time. I yeah yes um, in um, 
Yes and no. It's 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 really difficult. So the beginning when um, when you solve on okay, I quit my job and then I have and then uh, you solve oh, okay, this is gonna be like one year um, 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 delay. Uh, you have some oh no, what did I do now? Um, but I think that is just uh, that is what I mean by freedom. If you have a problem, you're free to you have to solve it yourself. But yeah. you. You really can do that if you, if you just. Uh, I think it's always important if you run a restaurant or any business. Um, you always have to be positive. Of course, uh, sometimes uh, you have um, you have uh, something what is uh, what you what you were not expecting, mm -hmm. and you have. I think I think always have you have one day to to be sad about it, and then you just look for a solution, and yeah. on a positive way. And I think the, that's same with now the the, the COVID situation. So um, first time, yeah, nobody knew what was happening. So we, I took uh, like one month or six week, I think, to start up a takeaway concept. Yeah. Uh, but now this time in uh, in October, when we had to close the restaurants, so the the last customers went out on Saturday and the Friday, the week after. Uh, there was a full web shop online with menus and drinks and uh, and we we have been selling um, takeaway menus uh, so you have to just be I don't know just think positive and, and it, it really helps Spectaculair heb ik de indruk als die, die in Brussel, hè. maar uh, ja. ja, dat is ook moeilijk te evenaren, denk ik. Is, uh, wat, er, wat er niet in Brussel ja, 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 ik, ik ga niet zeggen grootstad, kleinstad, maar... Ja, dat is het, hè. Het is een, een stad en een dorp eerder, eigenlijk. Um, is it okay if we shift to English, just for the recording? Just so yes, no problem. My name is uh, Reinoud Elsen, R-E-N-O-U-T. And my name is. Uh, am I? Who thought you spelled it? It was completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. R E I N O U T. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And my name is uh, Willem Jan Elsen. And we are yeah. sitting in. Elsen Kazanbach. Okay, so tell me a bit about Elsen Kazanbach. Yes. Elsen Kazanbach is uh, a company, like a cheese uh, shop, and underneath the shop there are four different rooms where we age our cheese ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we buy them young at the early market in Rangis, next to Paris. And so we have the opportunity like to uh, have the, the right humidity, temperature and time to get the cheese at the maximum this point of uh, uh, flavor mm -hmm. and then put it into the shop. Yeah. It's also a family company. So our dad started uh, 35 years in cheese, uh, 35 years ago. And now my brother and I last year took over the business. Another uh, person or business that you spoke to was um, the Elson Brothers, which kind of also shine a light a little bit on another part of food culture in Leuven. So, so who are the Elson Brothers, and you know what's their what's their game? Yeah, I mean, 
as somebody who doesn't live in a city, what I really wanted to do was get a sense of what the food culture in Leuven was by talking to somebody who'd been involved in it. And uh, Reinhardt and Willem Jan are brothers, uh, Elson is their surname, and they work in Elsen Kasambach, which is a, a cheesemonger's in the center of town and sort of the central food food kind of district. Um, their father, about 30 years ago, set up uh, the cheese the cheesemonger's shop on the Meckelsestrat in Leuven. And what sets them apart is that they age and mature their cheese in, in a series of um, cellar basements, maturing rooms underground underneath the, the cheese shop. And they're one of the few... Um, cheese mongers or cheese shops in Belgium who in fact do that. So, you know, they put a lot of thought and a lot of care into, into the cheese that they're doing. They work with a lot of restaurants in the city. They provide their cheeses to several restaurants, one of which Bram uh, at Hop Gastro Bar would have worked with. Um, and, you know, it was good to chat with them to get a sense of what the sort of food values or what, you know, what, what the Belgian food scene or the, sorry, the Belgian food scene, what the Leuven food scene is all about, you know, what's important, what people are looking for, um, what works, what doesn't. And really what they said was, as we were talking previously, you know, people in Leuven expect a certain quality. And there's a small network of independent uh, food producers of food shops in the city centre who kind of stand up to that quality. They would have considered them one as Elzen providing cheese. There's uh, a butcher's Rondu, which is quite famous in Belgium. They've worked with uh, Jeroen Meurs, who's a famous TV chef, also based in Leuven. Um, you know, there's 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 fish shops, uh, fishmongers. There's this there's this good network of independent shops, all centrally located, and they act really as a magnet for bringing people into the into the centre of Leuven to do their food shopping. Yeah, the education, I must say, it's uh, really it's it's done by by our father in the last uh, thirty years, thirty five years. Yeah. When I, my father started here uh, in, in, in Leuven with this cheese shop, there were still five or six cheese shops. Um, and they all sold the same cheese as the, the ones you can find in, uh, in supermarkets yeah. now. But then he started to ripen the cheese, to communicate this with the clients. Um, we every, every year we do an open seller day, yeah. so people can see what we're doing. Um, and actually now our customers are, are, are yeah, educated by us, I, I would say. <laughs> I, I hope. Yeah, it's a yeah. uh, continuous. Uh, I suppose you guys have seen some change as well. I mean, with a family business of 35 years, you'd have seen the city has changed a lot, I guess, in that yes. time. And the food scene in the city has changed probably a lot too. Like you were saying, you know, maybe less in focus on the Munstrad in the center, but more sort of spreading itself out around. Yes. Um, the city center. Uh, um, was like everything was clustered there together and now it came wider and wider because like downtown more we have like the food section mm -hmm. and then the the main streets like they're like for shopping on a Saturday when you want to go out with the family and yeah. kids and go shopping but there there's no food shops there and it's because of a mix because they are good in, in the, on a Saturday but we also need the, the week and that customers need to just pass by quickly, and it's uh, then about um, yeah a mobility plan that we have here in Leuven. That here at the Vismarkt is the the last parking space, yeah. and <laughs> it's not easy to really go around. But we are also like it, one day the parking there will all be gone. Yeah. We don't know what it will give if it's better for us or not. We hope it's better, but might not be, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, we still see a lot of our customers come from far away um, with the car mm-hmm. um, because they do the, all their groceries in the same two streets here. Um, yeah, if you don't go by car, it's gonna be difficult uh, to come from uh, outside of Leuven. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a challenge for us, I must say. <laughs> but uh, yeah. You yeah. guys presumably deliver, provide this service restaurants here delivering cheese you know talking to chefs yeah like is it an interesting time to live in at the moment are there lots of like interesting young chefs happening or restaurants happening like what's the what's that like is it as a place to go out to eat yeah it's, in, in only in the center of Leuven there's at least 10 really good really good restaurants uh, where we deliver our uh, our cheeses um, but then outside of Leuven, there's a few, five more mm-hmm. really good restaurants where we also deliver cheese. Um, they not all work with me, mm-hmm. but uh, zero shows, of course. <laughs> um, you can't force yeah. them. Anyway, we can't, no. It's also not our main business, no, actually. Yeah, actually. We say, okay, it's this quality, and we don't like start arguing about the price. It's like this one or not. Yes. Yeah. We don't have the ambition to conquer the whole Belgium with our cheese and driving around no it's yeah. a shop is a main business yeah. is it interesting to work with them though like yes because them? they uh, the people that come to eat there are also our customers and they say okay it's us on the menu so that's why it's important that the the, the restaurants nearby are also customers but I'm not really interested in like a, a big chef restaurant in Antwerp it's not interesting for me no keeping it local voila but also, I really much. I love the communication between chefs and, and us. They they have good ideas, of course. Um, there was a few restaurants actually who really make also nice desserts with our cheeses. It's not that they just put the cheese on a plate. They make something with it, and that's mm. something really. It is. It can be eye-opening. Uh, so we learn a, a lot of the, those chefs as well. Um, this also the fun part for me I yeah. think yeah. and you guys I know have experimented or experimented that's not fair have worked with like beer and food pairings you've done I know Reynad you've done events yeah. and I've seen you at the Three Fontaine open days okay okay um, I don't but remember. I don't know if I saw I'm you sorry. when I saw the, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the cheese was there like what do you think of a concept like hot then uh, you know where, where beer is so central to the me- central to the concept and which is not something that is very it's not very common in, in Belgian restaurants to have like a very specific curated beer menu. You know, you get yeah. you, you get beer on the menu, but it's going you know sometimes it might be different or just yeah yeah no yeah it's, it's a great idea because uh, there is a there's so many beer lovers. Um, uh, I think people come from far away to go uh, and try the beer menu there. So uh, I think yeah, it's very clever from them. And for you guys, do you, is that something you enjoy doing as well right now? Because I know, well, I, mean, I, I know you, you love good wine and you love good beer too. Like, is that something fun to be able to like mix and match the different beers that you, you enjoy drinking? And yeah, yeah. Uh, we um, every year we have a food and hops um, uh, event here in mm-hmm. Leuven, um, and yeah, this is one of my favorites. It's actually uh, we do a lot of workshops there. Uh, cheese and, and beer pairing and then of course people, people can buy some cheese there and uh, yeah it's also always a very good uh, 
cooperation between uh, the brewers and, and us. It's yeah. uh, it's also the same uh, shops that are here, like downtown, with good food. Then they try to do something uh, to pair it with the beer. Yeah. So they all give the workshops there. It's, yeah, it's a nice venture. Do you like pushing the boundaries a little bit, putting more interesting flavors in front of yeah, beer of drinkers who are maybe used to something more conventional? Yeah, that's what I always do. I, I, I try the more extreme flavors because beer is so wide ranged. Yeah, it's, you can go so many different directions in beer. That's also what makes it so incredibly fun to, to combine with cheese because yeah, in cheese you also have so many different flavors and you can find really uh, yeah explosions. Um, yeah, very very interesting um, combinations. But you never thought of it before. It's uh, yeah. I'm 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 a big fan of gears. So uh, if I can uh, um, convince people to try gears with some cheese, that's that's for me the, the greatest. Because yeah, it's not difficult. It's a, it's a, it's not easy. It's a really difficult beer for for lots of people. But if you combine it with some cheeses, you get the uh, the edges off. It's uh, and then and some I, I and then most of the times there I get really aha from these people oh it's really it's a really good combination I will try some goods as well at home and <laughs> then it's for me then it's uh, I thought you were going to say that you like the stout and the IPAs the most yeah in combinations the, in combinations with cheese there there's really wonderful combinations but for me the the nicest nicest moments are when people. Uh, learn to appreciate goose, mm. one of my favorite beers, and uh, that's good if you do it in combination with cheese because uh, goose on its own it's more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, yeah, I'm more into the IPAs actually. The, yeah, yeah, I I like it a lot, and also in combinations um, with. Um, yeah, the, the the fruitiness it's it can be more combined with more cheese I think so it's, it's not true. Uh, the the gears, I think it's more difficult um, and also for me yeah when you get it right it's really right. Yeah. <laughs> Part three. Added value.
We're back with Bram. Back in his early days at Zarza, before leaving to open Hopasubar, before graduating to the position of head chef, before he had children, Bram spent time, too much he says, in cafes around town, where his tastes rarely strayed too far from a hobo de pinche. But gradually his tastes expanded as he tracked out to a nearby beer warehouse to explore what local beers they sold. He discovered Streikbieren, or regional beers, like Jean-Train, Jean-Trainuis, Quatre Saisons, and these trips kind of sparked a passionate love affair with the complex acidity of Belgium's spontaneously fermented Lambic and Huse beers, one which kind of remains undimmed in him to this day. Abraham wasn't the only one waking up to what the region's brewers were doing. The provincial government of Flemish Brabant saw the potential for beer tourism in Leuven and the surrounding area and were keen to promote it however they could. Alongside the annual Zitos Beer Festival, Belgium's largest, a competition was organised in spring 2009 to find the best beer cook or beer chef in Flemish Brabant. The organisers of the beer cook competition were looking for a chef that would cook an innovative and modern dish with beer as the main ingredient. Starter, main, dessert didn't really matter so long as the beer the chefs used came from the region. Bram hadn't cooked much with beer up to that point but they had experimented with it a little bit and the competition's no stoflace rule suggested that they might be open to something a little bit different. So Bram got working on a dish in purring that he thought might stand a chance of winning. He didn't realise it at the time, but he was forming an approach that would shape his attitude to cooking for the next decade. More assertive beer flavours, combined with a deceptively simple interpretation of Belgian kitchen standards. Um, and then the competition to go to do a beer dish yeah. uh, really uh, translated it to, into the kitchen. Uh, so um, actually we was there in the competition with my uh, former chef um, and then uh, we went to first and second uh, okay. so from the competition and then we and then the, the boss there in the restaurant um, so what did said, you cook? Um, it was like a terrine with um, um, black pudding and uh, apples and um, sherry beer okay so more traditional, but uh, it I, I think I think the difficulty of cooking with beer is um, so in the end product on the plate you still taste the beer, and therein so like a sour cherry beer uh, from Drie Fontaine or so you really you really taste it in the end, yeah. so that is uh, that was why I choose that uh, that kind of beer. And then the boss there said, "Ah, so now you, you, you're a beer chef. Uh, we have to have a beer menu." Okay, <laughs> but we, we never did a beer menu. It was like something completely new. Yeah. Uh, and then we started cooking with beer. So there, I really did a lot of cooking with beer because I was not um, um, in charge of the the selection of the beers who were they were serving. So that is, uh, I. I could so make some suggestion, but it's always I, yeah. And that is what I mean with you have to you have you have to um, control of all the levels. So, 
And that is where it started. Now, actually, I don't use much beer in the dishes, but we like to serve them with the dishes. It's not that it's not good to put it inside, but um, if you have somebody in the restaurant who has a gluten intolerance, mm. you can start all over with your menu. Yep. So it's sometimes it's... It's tricky. Yeah. And you, it's, it's not like it's once in a month. It's You have it... Uh, I have lots of people coming in and say I don't eat gluten. Okay, uh, if then if all the, all the the dishes have beer inside, it's uh, yeah. Um, so putting that menu together at Zarta, was there anyone you were looking to, like who was already doing that, to take inspiration from, or were you really just like experimenting with like what you thought worked, what you enjoyed yourself? Um. I think more the second thing, uh, so it's like uh, it all went a little bit naturally. I didn't think everything we did was a, what, what was a huge success. Uh, so you really have to. Uh, it was more like a trial error yeah. kind of thing. So some things worked, some things didn't work. Um, of course, you read some books uh, about beer and even the combination, but I think. Yeah, in that day, uh, that kind of literature was really traditional. So if you have uh, stovelace, uh, so um, stew or that, you can drink that with it. But we didn't make that, so what are we going to drink with it? Huh? Yeah. But in the end, um, it's, an, it's interesting to taste and to start to discover what is possible to combination. And so you also know what's working and what's definitely not working. Uh, and then... Um, I think for beer and food combination, the, there's such a variety of beers nowadays. Yeah. It's really hard to choose. So you have to um, look a little bit for your own um, kind of combination. I think yeah. it's, I think they don't think this is one dish, there's one combination. So I'm, I'm, I'm fond of sour beers, mm -hmm. and you will find that on the beer list, but I, uh, it doesn't mean we don't have anything else. But yeah. uh, in general, in food and drink combination, I mean non-alcoholic wine or beer, um, I always find it important that uh, what you drink with it refreshes. Um, so it's um, you always get... Um, some acidity or some freshness from hops or, um, or, or some uh, something which which cleans the palate so you have you feel like oh, I want to have another bite yeah and do you start off with I want to make this so I'm going to go for go and find a beer that I know is going to be good and can match it or have you had the experience of I've tried a beer and I think oh that could actually if we paired that that could be a nice pairing it can go two, uh, both ways, yeah. Uh, I think most of the time we start from the kitchen yep. and then we're gonna match something with it. I think that is uh, um, logical because yeah, beers, is, um, yeah, you always have the food, um, the seasons which are following up. So yeah. uh, of course we have to do something in April with asparagus uh, and then what kind of, what, what way are we gonna go with the asparagus and then you have to find something to drink with it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean if you have a really nice stout um, or something um, um, fruity or some other, a beer where there's a really, um, uh, has a really strong flavor, 
in one sense, you can start thinking from what are what can we do with that. Yeah. So that that is also a possibility. Um, like one of the first yeah. desserts, also that was uh, that the dessert was called Dark Sister. You know mm-hmm. the beer from? I know the beer. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's like from Brussels a, Beer Project. Yeah, black IPA. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting style, black IPA. Not many people drink it, I think, but it's. Um, and then we, we really made a dessert which, which we called it after the beer and just we had the, the tasting notes of the beer and then we, we put that in the dessert mm-hmm. so we had some pear with bergamot so you have some citrusy um, we had some chocolates we had some uh, um, praline uh, also there some, some hazelnuts I think and so in that way we made really uh, one-on-one combination, yeah. and we even called the dessert after the after the beer. Uh, and then a little bit later, we did a tap takeover also with the Brussels Beer Project, yeah. and then we just did a whole menu uh, with um, with the beers of them. And how important is that collaboration with brewers? Because I mean, you have Brussels Beer Project. I know, for example, you've done events with women and 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 Tom at Antidote. Like, yeah, yeah. What 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 does that bring you as a as a chef? Then it's really inspiring because, um, especially if you if you're talking with uh, women, Tom, yeah, they're really also um, very inspired by flavor and everything. So they're, um, I, I. Then you have to ask the brewer what beers do you have for the event, and then you really have to start off from the beer. And then uh, it depends on uh, who you're working with, and then you go in discussion. Ah, oh, yeah, this beer, and uh, it tastes like this and this. One. And I say, oh, I would go in that that direction with the dish. Um, and then, yeah, and then you you really have to taste, and you really then it's it's I think interesting because it's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, it takes um, lots of lots of lots of preparation, and um, it's just one night. Yeah. Menu. But from that preparation, you, you learn a lot. So I think that is interesting. So we did that with the Antidote uh, for uh, now, one year ago, for uh, two years uh, of Hofgasterbar. Um, and actually, the funny thing is, they also started the, the same time as we did. And I think now, three years ago in January, they started. So, um, so we had like the same birthday. Um, and and yeah, that was a uh, oh, yeah. You can imagine it now, but like here, a long table full of people, and there, a long table full of people. People don't know each other. Just bought a ticket, yeah. um, a six-course menu with all, and then Tom and the bring, of course, some more exclusive things. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. Can you hear me? You? I'm good. I'm yeah, good. sure. Good, good, good. Are you busy? Yeah, we just got some two new stainless tanks and I have to clean them before use. <laughs> so this call is a nice distraction from that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So Owen calls Tom Jacobs of Antidote Wilde Fermenten, a brewery located in the village of Kortenachen, just outside Leuven which produces wild and spontaneously fermented beers as well as cider and wine. He's one of the breweries Bram Verbeken has chosen to work with at Hop Hastrobar. We never, we never get into contact with restaurants ourselves. 
Um, so I've been always a bit slow on that, but I don't know, Bram, like very early on, he heard about us. I think it was like, even when we just had the cider and, and then he came over, uh, like a, a sunny afternoon. I remember we tasted the ciders and he was uh, enthusiastic about working with that because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just 30 minute drive from here. And uh, the restaurant that he had was pretty new. So he wanted to focus on yeah, mainly the beers, of course. And so he was working on his, on his, uh, the beers he had to offer in his, in his restaurant. And uh, uh, from the first days we worked together. Um, yeah, the interesting thing he said to me was that you guys started more or less around the same time. Yeah, um, and it was interesting for him then to celebrate. They, they, I know you celebrated, or he celebrated the re- the birthday of the restaurant with the with the tasting evening with you guys. Yeah, how what was that like to put together? Like, is that something? Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it was for two years. That uh, two years yeah. of Costa Bar, and we were also just. I think that was just two years after our first brew or so. Yeah, and. That was a that was a really good night. Uh, he, uh, I think we we had like six or seven beers with with the same amount of dishes. And I think before he, he came over just to see what was available for the beers, because we always have like different beers every season. And then uh, he made some tryouts with the beers before. Mostly, I don't really intervene. Uh, so when the restaurant wants to do some pairing. I just say what we have available, and then it's it's totally up to them. Uh, I trusted them, uh, so that's it's very easy actually to work together like that. Yeah, yeah. For us, it's because we have now the membership system, which means like fifty percent of all the beers are for the members. Yeah, but like I, I really I don't like actually. That's why we, at first we didn't want to do a membership thing because I hate all kind of club logic. <laughs> uh, like it's you're in or you're out. It's, it's totally stupid. I hate that. Yeah. But it was for us. It was just out of practical necessity. Otherwise, we couldn't open the place here anymore because we had no control over how many people would come. Yeah. So, so we had to do that. But at the same time, we decided like that means like we want that everybody who really wants to drink our beers has access to it. And so, fifty percent goes to bars and to restaurants. And of course, it makes sense that it goes to Leuven. There, there are a lot of good places over there. Um, so I want to keep the beers like available for everyone. Of course, they they they, they have to pay at a kind of restaurant price, which <laughs> makes it more expensive for a big bottle. Yeah. Uh, but that's also like we have a kind of. I don't know if that's totally legal or not, but some kind of price agreement with restaurants yeah. to keep to keep the price reasonable. Yeah. Uh, I had a conflict with one bar in Brussels one day, and they charged like sixty euros for a bottle. Mm-hmm. And then this, the next time they wanted to order again, I said okay, but I think it's too much for for beer, and they didn't want to change it. They said like if if we can only do like forty five, we lose we lose fifteen euros a bottle. Like no, you don't lose it. You make more money on that bottle than you make on other bottles, and and so we stopped working together. Yeah, 
And but for all the wrestlers in Belgium, I've never had any problems with that. They totally understand that we want to keep it reasonable. Yeah. And I mean, that's always been an important, I know we've talked about this in the past when I've been down at the, at the, at the farm, that, that the principle behind it of making it accessible, that's always been really important to you. Does that determine then who you work with when it comes to restaurants? Are you looking at restaurants to see who be, you know, they're doing it, they're doing something that looks or feels maybe similar to what we're doing at Antidote or is it basically, yeah. or is it more like a restaurant will, will approach you and say, this is what we're up to. What do you think? Yeah. But it's, it's very easy to make the selection because I don't go to restaurants. That means restaurants have to come over here. Okay. And there are only the restaurants who are really like want to go the extra mile and uh, they know what we are doing. And mostly like we really like what they're doing. So it's, it's, it's never have, has been difficult actually. Yeah. And because that's, it's just a certain fraction of restaurants who just go on the hunt for things themselves. Mostly they're, especially in Belgium, they are pretty passive. So they just wait what their importer brings. And so, yeah. Uh, do you, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's maybe, maybe not the, the best question to ask, but like, I mean, after three years, well, you're, you're Belgian. I mean, you've been, you've been around long enough. Do you think that beer is, that there's a, a generation of chefs maybe who are more interested in beer and more interested in, more complex beer than there might have been in the past? Yeah, I think it, it has definitely changed already a bit. Because uh, I remember just like before we started, we told like restaurants that we were only going to do like 75 centiliter bottles and that we just presented on the same level as wine. Mm. And then they were really like, they didn't like the idea so much. This is like the typical idea like, Man and a woman go to a restaurant. The man wants some beer. What the his girlfriend wants some wine or so. So they don't want to take a big ball and so. But that is that is totally changing. Uh, now I see some restaurants. They say like we prefer to have the the big bottles and to present it also like a wine, put it on the table, or use it in the in the menu or whatever. Yeah. So that's definitely changing and also. But it goes slower here in Belgium. I think. Uh, yeah. It's only like in the last last two years, I think that that restaurants say like, okay, we want to have these kind of beers, and people are also willing to pay like say forty euros. Yeah, was it inter- I mean, was it interesting then to see the reactions of people who would have come to the tasting that you guys did for the second birthday to kind of see present to them another side of beer or or complex flavors that maybe not everybody associates with beer because they have, as you said, you know, Belgian drinkers can be sometimes. A little yeah. conservative. Was it interesting to see the reactions and to see people sort of putting it together in their minds that beer is something that has as much value in that kind of setting as wine? Yeah, I think like for the audience there, I think most people already knew us. There okay. were a lot of like brands and supporters, um, so they weren't really struck. But I remember I was sitting next to a guy that Brahmin Bites. He was a culinary journalist for the Tech. Yeah. And he had like he had like no idea that beer could be something like this. He like he, he totally had no idea. And he's a culinary journalist. Yeah. Well, that must have been fun then to see his reaction. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. He because he thought like, nah, I don't drink beer, or so. Uh, but it's it's mostly with say say the, say the wine drinkers. Yeah. Like sometimes at a festival or so. Uh, I, I often go to wine festivals, so I put up some bottles in my backpack or so. 
like many of these these people say like no no i don't drink beer and then i said like oh but maybe just have a taste and then it's it's just it's something funny or they have no idea i don't say what i'm pouring because we we also mix it up with cider and, and yeah, grapes and so and they think they're drinking wine yeah and then and then you do the big reveal at the end to say aha <laughs> it just greens yeah So now Drie Fontaine, um, we we are, has been on the menu from the beginning. Bram again. And and so now um, uh, we went by there um, in December, I think, and just buy like also some um, some more um, uh, Zan Ifratero and like and stuff, which are difficult, more difficult to get. But um, we're still in a, in a phase to getting to know each other better. But um, uh, somebody is working here, Jorn. He knows them very good, so um, uh, like a bit connection there. And I think I don't know yet, but maybe there will be an event also later but we'll see about that if it's all uh, yeah but if, if you want to do an event it has to be very very busy inside the restaurant and, and so for the moment not, yeah uh, another um brewery that's that's features on his menu is um Drie Fontaine and you know they're kind of a brewery that you know also you know have an acidic offering they I think model themselves a lot as well on kind of that you know, they're a culinary product as, as much as as a, as a beer to drink, you know, among friends. So, you know, I think they do like the the fact that they're on a bunch of restaurant menus. Um, you, you had a chance to go and chat with Werner and, and Gitan from Drie Fontaine. So well, first of all, like, what's it like when you kind of sit down and crack open a bottle with those guys among all their fooders and in the, in the thing? What's the vibe of Drie Fontaine at the minute? It's pretty intense. Um, at the minute. Um, so Werner, um, who, who's leading the, the business side of the, of the brewery, he's taken over from Armand de Belder, who would have set it up several years ago. And they're really driving forward um, the brewery under this vision of like added value goods, I suppose is how you would probably describe it. You know, um, anyone who knows Three Fontaine, you know, they package themselves. It looks a lot like natural wine. You talk to Werner, a lot of his influence in how, how they're positioning themselves come from the, the natural wine and biodynamic wine industry. You know, it's all about the quality of the ingredients that are going in, the attention and care is taken to, to the blending process, you know, finding good producers, thinking about where your grain is coming from. Um, and it's really interesting. And, you know, to sit in a fruiter hall that smells of fermenting or maturing lambic you know it's it's a it's a unique experience i really enjoy doing it uh, werner himself is quite an intense person he has a lot of plans and you, you sit down with him and you come out two hours later forgetting about half of the things you wanted to originally talk about having listened to him talk about what he wanted to talk about but you know as you said his inspiration you know he, we were there he cracked open a bottle of wine that they had in fact made themselves they had gotten belgian grapes from from limburg blended it with some of the some of the beer that they had maturing in their vats um, and we just talked a little bit about you know what their vision was and then obviously inexorably we came on to the question of like getting their food into restaurants how they approach that um, who they like to work with you know how the scene has changed like we were talking obviously previously about how there is a new generation of chefs who are maybe more interested and people like uh, Werner at Fontaine and his team there you know, they really see this as an opportunity and they see that the, there's a Belgian public there now who's 
been exposed to, you know, natural wines and the flavors associated with that and may not consider themselves beer drinkers. But when you put a Dri Fontaine, a Zenity Frontera, for example, in front of them or or a, a creek that they've produced or even just, a, a you know, an Audigues, that there's some touchstones there that maybe wouldn't have been there in the past and they're more open to it. And I think, you know, speaking to Werner, he's hugely enthusiastic about the kind of work that people like Bram are doing in making the case for, for sort of a modern presentation of beer in restaurants. Like, what is it like working with restaurants like Hop? Like, how, how does that work? How does that relationship start? Do you have a relationship? Or mm -hmm. do you think that that's... Gaetan, do you want to chime in? De relatie met hop. Kast oh, erbij in de. Zet er u even bij. I will get some wine. <laughs> so here we join Owen at the Drie Fontaine Brewery and Blendery in the Lambecodrome in the village of Lot in Flemish Brabant. He's talking to the managing director of Drie Fontaine, Werner van Obergen, and to Gaetan Klaas, the sales guy. Hi. Can you say your name? Uh, Gaetan. I'm doing uh, sales uh, for, uh, for Drie Fontaine. Yeah. Um, so the, the partnership with Hop, yeah, Lester Bar? Yeah, tell me about how that got started, what you guys think how it works. Well, I think it's, uh, it's logical that, um, that we, we ended up working uh, together with, uh, with them. I think they're doing a, a fine, uh, fine job, of course, um, in positioning um, a finer, finer gastronomy with, uh, and, and uh, pairing it, of course, with... Uh, with finer beers until until now we haven't really done an event etc it's more uh, timing and and especially covid that uh, yeah. that interfered as you say but um they are serving our beers they've been here quite a few times and with their um with their christmas and new year's eve uh, uh, dinners takeaway of course that they yeah. did um they were able to to buy uh, some uh, some special special beers of ours to go more limited beers um that they paired with uh, yeah of course with their courses and um so yeah it's it's definitely a a, a nicer nicer partnership and, and in the future whenever covid lets us to we'll definitely uh do some nice uh, nice events together and, and in general we see that uh, that the leuven uh, gastronomy scene and, and fine dining, natural wine, etc. is it's really booming if, yeah. if you compare Maybe it. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Like what's, what's changing in the like what do you see? Well, we see that there are we see, see that there are some uh, some some very cool uh, restaurants, Bistro Brutal what we call are are popping up. Or, um, if you compare it to let's say ten years ago, that perhaps wasn't really the case. So um, it's 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 very cool to see that that they have their focus on uh, on local uh, local beers and um, and if possible wines as well. So um, there's a very uh, vibrant atmosphere there when it comes to uh, gastronomy. That's and that's really cool to see. When something like the pop, just like I'm trying to work it through, would, did, would they have come to you and say we're interested in serving your beers, or is it sort of your job to get out there and uh, like? I well, in uh, in in so so particularly for uh, for Hop, they they came to us, and that's uh, in general how it goes at at Trifontaine. To to be honest, we I'm I'm the only one in, in in charge for the for the sales in Belgium and the rest of the world. So I 
for example, I do not have a company car or whatever that, that, that I go and uh, go out there and, uh, and sell our beers. Um, it's, it's all directed from, uh, from, uh, from here. And, um, but yeah, we see more and more of these cool restaurants uh, reaching out to us to, to work together with them. That's, that's one of the next steps once we have the basis of our, of our sales structure, then uh, we definitely can, uh, yeah, can go deeper. I suppose my last question is to you, what's the, what does it, what does it give, what kind of a feeling does it give to you seeing your beers, seeing the prefrontated beers in a place like Hop in a restaurant being taken seriously by, you know, chefs and gastronomy in a way maybe that wasn't the case five, ten years ago? Well, I think uh, it's, uh, it's what Lambic deserves, uh, not necessarily or, or only Drie Fontaine. But Lambic is a, um, a perfect uh, begeleider. Accompaniment. Um, yep. To a lot of uh, uh, to a lot of food and a lot of dishes, and that is where a lot of passion meets. Uh, and I think in Belgium more generally, a lot of restaurants they have done their homework on the wine list. They have done their homework on uh, the uh, on where the ingredients come from but they can still work a lot on, on what the beer should be about. And I think uh, Hop in Leuven is a very nice example of how it should be done. They don't know, they don't, they have not only a very elaborate beer list, but they also go with the, uh, with the pairings. Um, and that's for us, that's the reason why we uh, love to work with them. Uh, and more and more we see um, Young restaurateurs, sorry, I should have. Wacht uh, Is dat meest? Ja, hier. Deze is ook nog goed vol. Gaetan, wil je ook een beetje? Oh wel. This is a, this is this is a still wine, so completely spontaneously fermented, skin macerated on the barrel of Souvenir Gris, which is a hybrid grape, uh, and then we added a little bit of lambic wort, fresh lambic wort to push it in the bottle to start sparkling. So it's a kind of a pet nut, but then with Lambic. So yeah, here's, so just to finish that point and then I'll turn off the report. Um, you know, you're seeing more and more young chefs. Including some of the as well. Yep. Because you have the acidity in Lambic. You also have the low alcohol. It's not like wine is uh, immediately above 10%. Yeah. Whereas uh, with the Lambic, you can uh, attain a lower ABV. Um, and I think the variety within Lambic is, is nice as well. Um, you have your, typically you have your Goeze, uh, but also a lot of fruit. One of the things that we have enjoyed uh, with the uh, Amuse Goeze, for example, that was done, was a piece of um, very uh, outspoken game. I think it was pigeon, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or pheasant, with a, a highly intense uh, creek. Um, and that worked very well. Um, and I think it's because of the overlap with wine that more and more sommeliers and young chefs uh, find Drie Fontaine and, and Goes in general. We're back with Bram Verbeken at the Hop Gastro Bar in Leuven now. So why do you, th- do you have an opinion or why do you think chefs let's say when beer when the hyper beer maybe dissipates a little bit which inevitably happens 
do you think chefs will just move on? Do you think there's a, a reason why certain, a certain generation of chefs are just not that interested in it? I have... I think there have always been people interested. Yeah? So, um, for instance, you have the, the chef, Guy van Kouten, you know him? So it's like been, uh, it's, from, uh, <laughs> it's from the older days, uh, but I did an inter... In, in, Stage, inter an internship, yeah. Internship there um, when I was um, in high school. In high school, so um, and he was um, he was one cooking with beer, serving beer with the dishes. Mm -hmm. I speak now uh, 25 years. No, yeah. no, uh, no, uh, no, long, I think 20 years ago, something like that. Um, he was doing it, and he was doing it just. Uh, it wasn't hip. It wasn't cool, um, and uh, people then just drunk um, expensive Bordeaux bottles um, <laughs> with lots of wood in it. So, and he was uh, serving sour beers. Yeah. So, I think it's always been there, and it will always be there. It's just something if you're really passionate about it, you will keep doing it. And just like everything um, in the food scene. Um, which is like more uh, more um, like fashion. Eh? Some some things come, something go. It always is, is, is a little bit that sticks. Yeah. And I think with beer, it's going to be the same. Okay, so you, you've had a chance to like, you know, talk to people in restaurants and and. You've talked to cheesemakers and you've gone to a couple of breweries and you've you've been around Leuven, you know, as part of the reporting and stuff for this this story. What are your biggest takeaways? Like would you would you consider that, you know, the beer and food pairing, cooking vibe is a, a completely niche thing that will only ever exist in in a, in a handful of places? Or do you think there's a kind of a growing interest and maybe in, in the beer country of Belgium, this is something that will develop in the future? I think it will, but I think it will probably go two ways. I think you will see more of the type of restaurants like Hop Gastrobar with beer at the center, but they're never going to overwhelm the, the food, the, the, the culinary world. You know, they they may not stay in, they may stay in niche, but that niche will grow um, but then I think what you'll probably see is the success of that niche will lead to a sort of leaching effect to other restaurants where they're never going to, they're not going to focus on beer, but you will see a better value or better added value um, presentation of beer in those restaurants. Um, I think that's probably the way you're going to see it. I think you, I think, you know, you're talking to Sophie and talking to, to several others, you know, the consumer taste is changing. Certainly, I think. People's attitudes to drinking beer at res in restaurants is changing, and Bram would say that too. Um, that people are becoming more adventurous when it comes to what they drink with their beers. So that's, I think, a positive for people like Bram and also for the prospects of beer in restaurants. You're also seeing some breweries get involved in the restaurant business. Um, so, for example, Duval have a, have a chain of pizzerias in which they serve pizzas made with Duval yeast. And at the same time, use that as an opportunity to sell a wider variety of the Duval beers. So, you know, that's an interesting, I think, development in the market. And it shows that, you know, the the, the attitude towards where beer is, even in, in casual dining, is changing too. Um, 
So I, I generally speaking, I was quite positive. And, you know, what's different now to, let's say, 20 years ago is that you have a generation of Belgian brewers who are interested in seeing their beers in restaurants. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I know you talk to an older generation of brewers and most of them will tell you that they actually, or some of them will tell you that they prefer drinking wine on there when they're off duty than, than beer. But I think nowadays you have a certain generation of brewers who drink wine, who drink beer, who want to see their beer alongside wine in their favorite restaurants and are like actively pushing for that. And you have a new generation of, you know, independent restaurateurs who don't see it so much of a distinction. Again, we come back to that sort of question around natural wine. They're interested in the process rather than the, the category. So if the beer is made in the same way that a wine is made, for example, or shows the same intent or attention to detail or interest or complexity of flavor, then it doesn't really matter so much if you call it a beer or if you call it something else. They're presenting a new, a new range of flavors that maybe wasn't there 20 years ago. And I think that's, you can't underrate how important that is to, to the success of getting beer in restaurants. So attitudes are changing. Beer might just be able to sit beside wine on the table in Belgium. And there are chefs and diners here who clearly want the options of those different and rich culinary experiences. Now, it's not going to spill into the mainstream, but there's a strong possibility that these changing consumer tastes will lead to a better added value presentation of beer in more and more restaurants over the next few years. For now, though, COVID, lockdown, social distancing, I just really want to go out for dinner with my wife. I want to say a huge thanks to Owen Walsh for all the work he did in co-producing this podcast. If you get a chance, you should check out his blog and podcast, buy his book and look into his other work. You'll find him at, at Brussels Beer City and at Owen Walsh on most platforms. He's brilliant. Thank you also to Visit Flanders for their support in producing this podcast. And once again, thanks to you, Sometimes this feels very one way, this format, but we receive so many nice messages from you guys that it spurs us on to continue working to find these stories and report them out. We know there's a bunch of stuff vying for your attention in your inbox and on your phone, and we don't take it for granted that you take the time to engage with our longer form stories. As always, it would be great if you could leave a review in your podcast app because it helps us get found and maybe also recommend it to someone that you think might enjoy it. My name is Brendan Kearney. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until next time, love what you do. Mm-hmm.